open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, uh, we are going to, in some way, kind of pick up where my dad has left off in the book of Acts. You can start in Acts chapter 8. Um, I'm going to actually have us thumb through four different passages in the book of Acts. And so if you can't keep up, I'm going to put the Bible passages for us on the screens as well. We'll start in Acts chapter 8, we'll end in Acts chapter 19, and we'll kind of have a, a quick survey through the book of Acts looking at four different passages. Uh, the title for our time together today is Five Ways to Guard Against Spiritual Warfare. How many of you have heard of that term, spiritual warfare? Okay, there are all the, the, the weird Christians, all right? Five Ways to Guard Against Spiritual Warfare. Let's pray. Father God, we love you, and this is your house, we are your people, and I pray now that you would convict us, comfort us, encourage us, counsel us through your word this morning. We love you, God. We thank you for first loving us and for dying on the cross for our sin, for rising from the dead, and because you live, we also shall live. What an amazing thing. We love you, and I pray now that as we read your word together, that your Holy Spirit would go to work on our hearts. You'd remove the blinders from our eyes that we'd be able to see and hear from you this morning. That's why we're here, to learn and to grow in our faith and to draw close to you, God. So do that work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit as we study your word together. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people together said, amen. The Bible is really a book about two different kingdoms. The kingdom of light, and you have the kingdom of darkness. And we know this to be true. Even those who do not believe in Jesus as their Savior know that there's light versus darkness, that there's good versus evil, right? We see this all throughout our culture, all throughout Hollywood movies. Where are my Star Wars fans at? All right? Bunch of geeks, you little Star Wars geeks. I'm kidding. Star Wars, Marvel series, uh, Lord of the Rings, awesome movies and books about good versus evil, about light versus darkness. We see this all throughout our culture. We could go on and on. Why is this? Because the reality is that we live in the, the physical, material world, but that's only one aspect of our reality. There's also a spiritual realm, the Bible says. There's an unseen realm. There's a spiritual world where God resides and his angels in the kingdom of light. There's also in that spiritual realm the kingdom of darkness where Satan and his demons reside. Satan and his demons long ago rebelled against the kingdom of light and thus created the kingdom of darkness. So you have the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And the Bible also makes this clear, whether you realize this or not, that you, me, we are a part of one of these two kingdoms. You are either a part of the kingdom of light, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, you've turned from sin, you've trusted in Christ, welcome to the family of God, you are a part of the kingdom of light. If you have not done that, and you are still in your sin, rebelling against Jesus, you are in the kingdom of darkness. I want us to see how Scripture speaks of this. I'm going to just throw up a few Scripture passages on the screen. You're probably not going to have time to write all these down. You can put me on pause later in post. So a few verses here, Colossians 1.13. For he has rescued us, speaking about believers. Paul's writing to the church at Colossus. 
You have rescued us, he has rescued us, from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. 2 Corinthians 4.4, Satan, who is the God of this world. Now that's lowercase g. He's not actually God in the way that we think of God, but God says that he has given Satan limited rulership and authority over the world. Other translations say Satan, who is the ruler of this world, who is the God of this world, he has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ who is the exact likeness of God. Ephesians 4.18, Paul writes, their minds are full of darkness, speaking about unbelievers. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. Paul again says in Ephesians 5.8, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light. Everybody say light. From the Lord. So live as people of the light. 1 Peter 2 9. But you are not like that, speaking to believers, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful what? Light. Light. 1 John 2 9. If anyone claims, I am living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, oh, this is so challenging, that person is still living in darkness. John 1, 4 through 5, the word, that is Jesus, gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought, everybody say light, light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Can I get an amen? So everybody see this. You are either a part of the kingdom of light if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ or you're part of the kingdom of darkness. Now you might say, I'm not rebelling against Jesus. Yes, I might not necessarily think of him as my Lord and Savior, but I'm not rebelling against Jesus. Listen, if you are not a believer, even though you might not worship Satan and think of yourself as part of the kingdom of darkness, but maybe you worship self because self is all that matters, you are a part of the kingdom of darkness. There is a kingdom of darkness And there's a kingdom of light. How do you transfer from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light? You turn from sin. You acknowledge you're a sinner. Say, Jesus, I need you. And I believe you died on the cross for my sin and rose from the dead. And now you walk with the Lord in newness of life by his Holy Spirit. Welcome to the kingdom of light. You repent and believe. So there's this kingdom of darkness and kingdom of light. Now, I want us uh, to look through the book of Acts... I'm going to take us real quickly through four passages where the kingdom of light interacts with the kingdom of darkness. We're going to start in Acts chapter 8. My dad, two weeks ago, um, went through Acts chapter 8, talking about Simon the sorcerer, remember? And talked about how Simon the sorcerer was bound by iniquity and full of bitterness. So my dad's main theme through that was bitterness. But in Acts chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 9 through 11. And again, I've got the verses here for us on the screen. Acts 8, 9 through 11. It says, But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. I don't know why I just went like British there, but... 
just kind of how I, I, I heard it in my mind. And they heeded him because he had astonished him, astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. So you have Simon the sorcerer. He's practicing sorceries, supernatural power, not as a conduit of the kingdom of light, but rather as a vessel of the kingdom of darkness. And my dad again went through this passage with us two weeks ago. Simon the sorcerer, as he hears the message proclaimed of the gospel, he actually gets saved, the Bible says. He gets baptized and believes in Jesus. Then what happens? He sees Peter as a vessel of the kingdom of light, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Peter, doing supernatural wonders and miracles. Simon is jealous and envious of this power. He goes to Peter and says, how can I purchase this power that you have? Peter rebukes him and he says, this power of the Holy Spirit cannot be bought. And he rebukes him. He says, I can see that you're still bound by iniquity and full of bitterness. Remember that story. But nonetheless, this is how Simon the sorcerer started. As a conduit of the kingdom of darkness. Next passage, Acts chapter 13, verses 6 through 12. Acts 13, verse 6 says, Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, who are the they? This, this is Paul and Barnabas. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer. Here we go again. A false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, for so his name is also translated. Okay, so you have this one guy, goes by two different names, Bar-Jesus and Elymas. He's a sorcerer. And it says that he withstood Paul and Barnabas, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Pause there with me. Paul and Barnabas, two believers in Jesus, making their way through the Roman world, there's this man, Elymas, also called Bar-Jesus, just means son of Jesus, obviously not Jesus, the Messiah. Bar-Jesus, Elymas, this sorcerer. He attempts to interfere with the work that Paul and Barnabas are doing. This Roman ruler, he's a proconsul, his name's Sergius Paulus, he hears that Paul and Barnabas are teaching the truth, and he says, I want to hear more about this. He calls Paul and Barnabas to himself... But his advisor, Elymas, this sorcerer, attempts to defeat Paul and Barnabas' plans to share the truth with the proconsul. Paul, filled again with the power of the Holy Spirit, he calls out Elymas, the sorcerer, and he says, You son of the devil, full of all deceit and fraud, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he causes this guy, Elymas, to go blind. When the proconsul sees this, the Bible says that the proconsul believes in Jesus Christ. So how many of you know that when the devil attempts to do something for his good, God can use what the devil does for his own purposes? This is an amazing thing. 
the proconsul believes. Third story is Acts chapter 16. We've got just two more stories where we see the kingdom of light interact with the kingdom of darkness. Acts chapter 16, verse 16 says, Now it happened as we went to prayer. Who is the we? This is Paul and Silas. As we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Okay, third story here in Acts 16. Paul and Silas are again traveling throughout the Roman world with the gospel message. They come across this demon-possessed girl. She's a fortune teller. She has a spirit of divination. She's making her master's profit because she's able to tell, again, by demonic power, the future to a degree. Paul, it says, is greatly annoyed because this demon-possessed girl travels behind Paul proclaiming that God is the most high God. Now, this is very interesting. Why in the world is this girl possessed by a demon proclaiming the truth? These men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Here's why. Listen, this is very important. Demons and Satan have great theology. They know their Bibles. What's the difference? They just don't submit to that right theology. This is why James writes in the book of James, oh, you believe in God? That's great. Even even the demons believe, and they tremble. So demons have great theology, theology. They just don't submit to that theology. This is why when people come to me, you know, I, I pastor the young adults group, and they say, Pastor Austin, I'm dating this guy. I say, is he a believer? Does he know Jesus? Well, I think he believes in God. I think he, I think he believes in Jesus. I say, that's not good enough. Even the demons believe. You're dating a demon, dude. Get, get rid of him. Okay, even the demons believe. That's not, that doesn't tell me anything. Is he following after Jesus? Has he repented of sin? He's trusting in Jesus for salvation. Okay, demons have great theology. They just don't surrender to that theology. They're in rebellion against the truth. When Paul, who it says is greatly annoyed, as this girl possessed with this demon is following Paul and and, and Silas, Paul turns to this girl, casts the demon out in the name of Jesus. The demon leaves. Now the masters are upset with Paul and Silas. Why? Because this girl was creating for them a prophet. So they drag them into the marketplace to the authorities. Okay, last passage real quickly in Acts chapter 19. Acts 19 verses 11 through 20. It says, This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Okay, last story here. We didn't read in just the previous verses. There are these Jewish exorcists going around, attempting to cast demons out of people 
in the name of Jesus. The problem is these Jewish exorcists actually don't follow Jesus. They've just heard Paul cast demons out in the name of Jesus. So they give it a try as well. What happens is this one demon beats up these Jewish exorcists. He says, Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who in the world are you? This demon beats up these Jewish exorcists. And it says that fear fell on the whole city of Ephesus. And they then believed in Jesus. It says they brought all of their magic books to the center of Ephesus. And they burned their magic books in the sight of everybody. It says the total cost of their magic books was 50,000 pieces of silver. In today's value, that's upwards of $5 million. Very wicked city. Okay. Here are some of the practices we see here mentioned in the, in the book of Acts. Sorcery, divination, fortune telling, demon possession, spell books. These are all demonic practices of the occult and should be avoided. What is the occult? The dictionary defines the occult as hidden, secret, and mysterious, particularly pertaining to the supernatural. Examples of cult practices are astrology, witchcraft, Wicca, the black arts, fortune telling, black and white magic, Ouija boards, tarot cards, spiritism, psychic practices and mediums, Satanism, astral projection, New Age teaching, pantheism. Pantheism teaches spiritual enlightenment. It equates God with the universe and you can achieve supreme God-like consciousness. Eastern meditation, yoga philosophy. (gasps) Austin, don't touch my yoga. I don't want to touch your yoga. I don't want to touch it. Listen, Austin, can yoga philosophy, can I not do my stretches? Okay, that's between you and the Lord. You want to do your stretches? Do it in private. We don't want to see it. That's between you and the Lord. What I do want to caution you against is yoga philosophy. You do know what yoga means, right? The word yoga, it means union. Union union with what? Union with the universe. The Bible says don't be one with the universe. Be one with Jesus Christ. When you become a Christian, you are now tying yourself to Jesus Christ. You are one with Jesus, the Bible says. Don't be one with the universe. Your energy feeding off the energy of the universe. Eastern meditation is all about achieving uh, higher levels of consciousness. The Bible does talk about meditation but not about Eastern meditation. Eastern meditation is the emptying of the mind so you can achieve higher levels of consciousness. Biblical meditation, Psalm 119 says, is when you meditate on the works and faithfulness of the Lord. It's filling the mind with Scripture. It is filling the mind with the truth of God's Word. So when you come across that word meditation in your Bibles, it's this filling of your mind with the truth, not emptying your mind to achieve higher levels of consciousness, but you're replacing Satan's lies with the truth of God's word, getting in the word, praying and seeking the face of God, saying, God, fill me with your truth, with your faithfulness, with your love. This is very important for us to to understand. There are several reasons why the occult is very fascinating. Number one, the occult practices appeal to our natural curiosity. Satan has made the occult very normal in our society. And it appeals to our natural curiosity. It's very easy to get into. It's harder to get out of. I was in Books A Million just the other week with my daughter, my three-year-old. I was in Books A Million. We were looking at some books. Uh, We were looking uh, at some toys. 
And right next to Dora the Explorer was a Ouija board. Like, what is going on here? Dora the Explorer and a Ouija board. I started to play this kind of weird game in my head, like, Dora the Explorer, now, like, now when I watch that show, no longer she's like, where's the map? Now she's like, where's the Ouija board, kids? This is weird. It was like, oh my goodness, but it's so accessible, it's so normal. And it, it appeals to our natural curiosity. What is this? What is going on here? It also, number two, it, the reason the occult is so fascinating is it, it provides what we think are quick and easy answers to life questions. No longer is it fun, or do we have the patience, just to wait upon the Lord, to seek the Lord. Should I marry that person? Should I move here for that job opportunity? And waiting on the Lord requires us to still our hearts, to sit before the Lord, to be patient, to press into the Lord, to be dependent upon the Lord, to hear from the Lord. But sometimes, self-admittedly, that is hard. It's difficult to wait upon the Lord. Because sometimes God doesn't even say yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait. And it's not the answer that I expect. And so what the occult practices do is it provides just an easy answer to life's questions. The astrologer gladly charts your future. The Ouija board and the tarot cards will gladly give you direction and guidance. The psychic gets you in touch with your Aunt Debbie who says everything's fine in the afterlife. That ain't your Aunt Debbie. It's a demon. But yet it provides those quick and easy answers to some of these questions. Listen, occult practices are controlled by demons. They give you just enough information to keep you intrigued. And when they have you, they keep you into their trap. It's a lie from the enemy. Okay. Why go through these four passages? Why is it that Luke, the author records all these different instances of the occult, spiritual warfare, and demonic activity. Here's my point. Here's the heart of my message today. What Luke is communicating to his readers here is where God is actively at work, Satan is not too far behind. Where God is actively at work, Satan is not too far behind. We see here in the book of Acts an explosion of the church. As the gospel message is going forth throughout the Roman world, a culture steeped in paganism and into occult practices, and they bring the good news of Jesus Christ, and where God is actively working and moving by his Holy Spirit through followers of Jesus Christ, Satan is also actively at work to keep believers distracted and an unbelieving world deceived. And this applies to you as well. You became a new believer. You've recently given your life to Jesus. You're hungry for the word. You're hungry to get into your Bibles. You and your spouse love the Lord and you're trying to make your marriage work and so you're in the word, reading your Bible, you're praying together. You're a single parent. You're trying to raise your kids in the ways of the Lord. Satan is actively at work in your life. He is trying to defeat your marriage He's trying to discourage you as a believer. He's trying to keep you in bondage to sin so that you're not effective for the kingdom of light. This is Satan's MO in our lives. And it will continue to happen. There does need to be a healthy biblical balance when talking about Satan and the demonic and spiritual warfare. 
C.S. Lewis said there are two equal and opposite errors in which we can fall about the demonic. One is to disbelieve in their existence, but the other is to believe and to feel an unhealthy, excessive interest in them. Okay, so you have two extremes sometimes when it comes to spiritual warfare. There's one extreme where you have an unhealthy, excessive interest in spiritual warfare, maybe even as a believer. Because sometimes, and this could be one extreme, we can tend to think that Satan is under every rock. You had a bad day, oh, it's spiritual warfare. You had a bad dream, oh, that was Satan. You have a bad cough, oh, it's a demon. And we think that Satan is everywhere. Satan is not omnipotent, he's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. He's not all-knowing. Now, yes, he does have a team of demons, but they are limited in power. And sometimes we have difficult days and we have disease and illnesses, not because of spiritual warfare, but because simply we live in a fallen, broken world and bad days happen here on this side of eternity. There can be another dangerous extreme that I think might even be more detrimental. And here it is. It's when you're dismissive of Satan's influence. And when you set the demonic to the side thinking they have no power, they have no weight, they have no authority, and this can be unhealthy as well. The Barna Research Group put out a study that reported this. Four out of ten professing Christians, these are Christians, four out of ten, 40% of believers, this survey said, Agreed that Satan is not a living being, but is a symbol of evil. If you first do not recognize that you have a real enemy who wages war against your soul, you will already be defeated. Peter says in 1 Peter 5.8, be alert and sober-minded. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, I don't say any of this to scare us as believers, but to prepare us rather. This should prepare us. Ultimately, greater is he within us, Jesus Christ, than he that is in the world. But I need you to understand this, church. What God loves, Satan hates. Your marriage, holiness, purity, maturity. What God makes, Satan wants you to worship. God created you. In his image. But what does Satan do in our society? Self-idolatry. Riddled through our society is self-idolatry. Where God made humans, but yet humans worship the self. And what God makes, Satan wants you to worship. We love idolizing self where it's all about us. What God makes, Satan wants you to worship. Creation. God created creation. Satan wants you to worship creation. We've become a society where the spotted owl has better protection than the baby in the womb. Because why? We have worshipped creation rather than the creator. This is what Romans 1 tells us. What God makes, Satan wants you to worship. What God makes plain, Satan perverts. In the scriptures, God makes plain to us how we should live before him in a right relationship with his son Jesus. But what God makes plain, Satan perverts. So Satan loves to pervert the scriptures. Back to Genesis 3, same thing he did with Adam and Eve. Oh, did God really say that? So what God makes plain, Satan perverts. What God designs, Satan distorts. What God designs, Satan distorts. Gender, marriage, sexuality. God designed male and female in his image. But what God has designed... 
Satan has distorted. Oh, Austin, you're supposed to say that. This is a conservative church, right? You're a bunch of Republicans, right? I'm not an ambassador of Republican or Democrat. I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of light. And I need to tell you the truth. Listen, listen. Are you here today? And you're confused. Confused internally about who you are. You're confused about your gender. Can I tell you? I love you. And God loves you so much. And if you think that changing your outward appearance is a remedy for the confusion you feel internally, it is a lie from the enemy. Do not believe it. Don't believe it. And the applause is not for me. The applause from the body of Christ is an applause saying we love you and we care for you and we can help you and counsel you with the truth of God's word. Listen, for the believer, praise the Lord. For the believer, can I just say this to the believer? Listen, for the believer, we do a disservice to an unbelieving world when we pat people on the back into the kingdom without calling them to repentance and we rather affirm the gender progressive sexual ideology that Satan spits out because it only perpetuates the narrative and further blinds people into following Satan's trap. It's a lie. And when we as believers pat people on the back into the kingdom without calling them to that place of repentance, recognizing that I'm a sinner, I'm a pastor's kid, we're the worst. I'm the worst of the worst. I'm a dirty sinner. We're all dirty sinners. And what we need to do as believers in love is call people to that place of repentance. Because the book, the book of Acts says, when we repent of our sin and we confess sin before the Lord and we get right with the Lord, say, God, I need you. I need you, God. I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. We repent. Say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I don't want to sin or live for myself anymore. I want to live for the Lord. I believe you died on the cross for me and you rose from the dead. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that he'll fill you with his Holy Spirit and out of you will flow rivers of living water. But that's what repentance does. Repentance. That's where it starts, turning from sin and trusting in Jesus. I've got five ways to guard ourselves against spiritual warfare in our last five minutes. Five ways. you got to get saved. Colossians 1.13, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. This is how you transfer kingdoms. I was just at woke Disney World this past week. All right, I told you I'm a sinner. I was being honest. <laughs> Took my, my girls first time at Disney. I, had, I said this is the last, first and last time that we're doing this. We're never doing this again. And so the way we transferred parks, you know, you've ever been there. You get this package and you have this fast pass. You can transfer parks. 
And so you just take your fast pass and you go from park to park. It's like a park hopper. All right, the only th- there's no, you don't need to purchase anything to transfer kingdoms. Jesus purchased you through his son's blood. So you just believe in Jesus' sacrifice for you. You get saved. And then you transfer kingdoms. The believer cannot be demon-possessed. If anybody tells you that a believer can be demon-possessed, don't believe them. When you are a believer, you are indwelt and filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's not sharing space. A believer can be demon-oppressed. Satan will do his best to discourage you, distract you, to oppress you. But you got to get saved. You transfer kingdoms from kingdom of darkness to kingdom of light. When you get saved, you put your faith in Jesus Christ. The you is use the spiritual armor of God. Go home and read Ephesians chapter 6. Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You understand this? Hear this. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers of the dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. When, when, when you are, are um, in an argument or something with, with a non-believer... Or you're frustrated by the culture, by the school board, by the society. It's not personal. We're not fighting against other people, you see. There are demonic forces behind the scenes, at work. But we have to use the spiritual tools, the Bible says. We don't wage war with actual weapons and tools. Our weaponry is spiritual. And this is where Paul goes to say, you got to put on the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The helmet of salvation. You've got to put on the helmet. Why? Because Satan attacks your mind. First place he goes is the mind. You're not loved. You're not saved. God isn't with you. You've got to put on that helmet of salvation, having assurance that you were bought by the blood of Jesus. You're secure in the Lord because Satan attacks the mind. The sword of the Spirit, which is what? You know it. The Word of God. This is your only offensive weapon. So you have to be in the word of God. Waging war against the enemy in the word. Replacing Satan's lies with the truth of God's word. But you have to be in your Bibles. Have to be in the word of God. A, avoid evil practices. This is what 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says. Listen, again, a a believer can't be demon-possessed. But Satan will attempt to have influence over your life. And you give Satan more influence over your life the more you're indulging in habitual sin. And you can't profess the name of Jesus and yet be in rebellion by your behavior and actions indulging in sin. You're giving Satan more influence in your life when you indulge in sin. Listen, if you have anything in the house, tarot cards, crystals, new age items, maybe certain horror films, get it out of the house. Get it out of the house. The R is resist the devil. James 4, 7 says, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, many of us know the second half of that passage, resist the devil, but what precedes that? Submit to God. And we will have a a difficult time resisting the devil in our life if we're first not submitting to the Lord. Because this is the rest of that passage. The D is drawn near to God. It says, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. 
Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. This is what we need to do. We, we need to resist the devil, but first we need to submit to the Lord, draw near to the Lord. And Paul, or James rather, in James 4.8, speaks of humbling ourselves, confessing sin, humbling ourselves, repenting of sin, getting right with the Lord, drawing near to the Lord through His Word. And this is how we'll guard ourselves against the enemy. 2 Corinthians 10.3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's do exactly that. Let's draw near to the Lord right now through prayer. If the Lord has convicted you of anything in your life, just get right with Him. Just confess it to Him. I don't need to know. Just confess it to the Lord. And let's pray that the Lord will protect us and fill us with His Holy Spirit. Father God, You know every single individual in this room. We need Your protection, Lord, against the ways of the enemy. The enemy has waged war against our lives and against our culture, Lord. And we first acknowledge that we're sinners. We confess our sin before you. We turn from sin. We ask that you would cleanse us, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Today, Lord, we walk in the freedom and in the name of Jesus. Greater are you within us than he that is in the world. We walk in a newness of love and joy and peace. I pray for anyone in this room who's been experiencing spiritual warfare, marriages, Whatever, whatever is going on in this room, Lord, you know exactly what it is. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would fill their homes with your power, with your light, and with your love. In Jesus' name, we love you. And everybody together said amen and amen. God loves you. I love you. God bless you. You're dismissed.